I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the hive for season five of the, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Smith Show. A special Halloween edition this July. Just kidding. Just kidding. We're just trying to talk to the pugs. Um, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good, good. Just sitting here writing a little song about the moon. I start moon camp on Monday. Moon camp, that sounds exciting. Do you go to the moon? We go to the moon, but just in Falls Church. So just emotionally? We go to an emotional moon. Ah. And, uh, I've been to one of those before. Yeah, we're going to do mooning from Greece. Yeah, I spend my Okay, cool. Well, I just got back from Columbia Pike Movie Night. Tonight was Mulan, and there were a lot of people there. It's a beautiful night out. People were enjoying that, so that's nice. Which brings us, in no natural progression or order, to our guest. Uh, again, we're doing some SSMT uh, folks this week. Yesterday we had Yvonne Campbell. Tonight we have R. Scott Williams. Yay! Applause track. Yay! So pour yourself a martini. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. For generations, people in Fairfax, Virginia have heard tales of the Bunny Man. Now, Bunny Man Brewing offers a tasty array of high-quality microbrews with a rotation of unique flavors. Come by to have a sample, and maybe even catch a glimpse of the legendary hopper. But bring a friend, because you don't ever want to drink alone. Check our hours and see what's on tap at BunnyManBrewing.com. Welcome, R. Scott. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. I'm sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> hey, Matt. I remember you. <laughs> What's going on? Well, I'm uh, sitting here on the corner of 40... Looking out the window. And uh, what do you see? <laughs> uh, a bunch of buildings, because that's... <laughs> 29th floor so you don't really I could get up and look down onto the street but that's it's not worth doing that well now is Ryan not with us tonight Ryan is not Ryan he is in Illinois yes okay well um I hope y'all will tell him hello for me I don't know if he remembers me but uh he was in my first show where I first met Matt um and I haven't seen him since so that's 25 years ago what, but I do remember him what show was that that was Big River Ah, yeah, I'm sure he would remember since Big River's casting was so, or the show, you know, was Mm -hmm. such vivid characters. (laughs) Yes, okay. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. So uh, anyway, so I'm I'm sorry to miss him, but that's okay. We'll have some fun. Yeah, he flew home to see mom and dad. Well, that's worth it. He hadn't been home in a while, and this was an opportunity to say, well, looks like I can fly home. Yeah, well, good for him. Yeah, he just caught. All right. So you're living in New York? Um, no. Well, part time. I'm uh, I'm what I call bi urban because oh. I still live in D.C. and I live in New York, and I go to whichever city either has the work or the next audition. You you uh, you have the D.C. branch and the New York branch. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's uh, 
it happened very, it, it's a fluke that it happened. You know, I never had the desire actually to live in New York between you and me. I still don't have a desire to live in New York. Uh, I think it's, it's difficult to live in New York as an actor. It's hard work and it really is a young actor's game. When you come to New York, there's a lot of work to do. And I never felt that I never felt I wanted to do that work, even when I was younger. So this is a fluke. And what happened was there's a, uh, uh, an artist subsidized complex right in near Times Square called Manhattan Plaza that has been around since the mid seventies. And the state subsidizes the rent for artists, not just actors, but musicians and writers and uh, stage managers and uh, everybody. Uh, it's hard to get in. In fact, they have a waiting list that's so long that they don't even open it very often. It'll, they'll open it once every three or four years and only add a certain number of people because nobody ever leaves once they live here because it's a great place to live and it's very, very affordable. Well, about, uh, I don't know, 2002 or something like that, uh, I read in backstage that the, the waiting list was opening and it didn't cost anything to put your name on the list. In fact, you had to put your name in a lottery and then they picked and maybe you got on the list. And so I just did it as a fluke and uh, got on the list. And then eight and a half years later, they called and said, you're at the top of the list. Do you want an apartment? Wow. Um, and it's uh, and that was about 10 years ago. So um, it, the rent is so uh, good. And the fact that I own my place in D.C., I have been able to uh, live in both places. That's so fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, I'm very lucky and I'm glad I'm saying this to you guys because I often forget how lucky I am when I'm down on the street walking around in New York and it smells the way that it smells in the middle of the summer. And I I think, God, I, why do I live in this city? And then I remember, well, how lucky I am to live in two of the biggest and most important cities on the in the world, you know, and the best newspapers. Yes, they do have the best newspapers. <laughs> um, where did you grow up, R. Scott? Um, I grew up in Atlanta. Okay. Uh, until I was 17. I guess I, I wasn't fully grown at 17. But when I was 17, my father got a big promotion that moved him to Los Angeles. And so the summer between my junior and senior year, what a lousy time to move. Uh, yeah. We moved from Georgia to L.A., and um, so I did one year of high school in L.A. And that's when I really got hooked with the, the theater. They had a strong theater department at that school. And uh, it just sort of hooked me. Peaches, The Varsity, Chick-fil-A and Stone Mountain. Uh, uh, I, yeah. Uh, is this a game? Yes. Those all have to do with uh, Georgia. <laughs> you know, you know um, I had relatives in Atlanta. And since we didn't have any money growing up, we would pack the station wagon and go to Atlanta for our summer vacation. And it always felt like we were going someplace. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, well. So, yeah, we spent we've spent many summer in Atlanta kind of doing the Atlanta thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I had probably I'm a little older than yours. So I, had pro I may have left Atlanta by then. You were a kid when this was happening. Yes, probably um, late. No, probably in the 80s. Mm. Yeah, yeah we, we were gone by then. Um, so we just missed each other, Matt. But uh, 
but we did meet doing Big River, so all is well. But then you, you moved to L.A.? Yes, we moved to L.A. when I was 17. I was in L.A. I went to undergrad there at California State University, Northridge. And after graduating from undergrad, um, I worked as a waiter and did theater whenever I could. Back then, in particular, there wasn't much theater in Los Angeles, so I was in the wrong place to be doing theater or trying to. Um, but I had a great life for about 20 years. And uh, then I got to be, well, that makes me 37 at this point. Uh, hope you're taking notes. There'll be, there'll be a, a quiz after. Yes. All yes. these details. All right. <laughs> so when I- uh, The drinking game. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I got to be 37 and uh, looked around and my family that I had moved with had all moved back. My father had retired, so they'd moved back to the East Coast. So I was out there with no family, but I had uh, this great group of friends that I had forever. And I was working as a waiter, which I loved. And, uh, but I, something about nearing 40 made me go, okay, is this what it looked like I had turned theater into my hobby mm. instead of my vocation? Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think theater is a spectacular hobby for somebody to have, but I wondered, it, okay, is this what the rest of my life is going to look like? Is this what I want from the rest of my life? And I decided it wasn't. And at the same time, right around that time, uh, the Rodney King riots were happening. L.A. became very difficult to live in. I watched L.A. burn from where I was living in Silver Lake at the time. I could see across the way uh, the night that the, all the riots happened. And the weather was horrible, you know, droughts for season after season. Then it would rain and everything would, all the mud would slide. And it was just, uh, it became diff more difficult to live there. And since my family wasn't there anymore, I was just thinking, um, maybe if I'm going to make a change, maybe it's time to do that. And I decided that no, what I really thought that I needed to be was a regional theater stage actor. And I didn't have the training for that. My undergrad was a BA in theater, but it was very generalized. So I was not, I didn't feel strong enough with my skills to uh, ever be hired by anybody. So that's when I decided to go to grad school. I'm a big believer in living some life between undergrad and grad school, if you're going to grad school. I, I think you don't get anything out of going from uh, high school into college and then into grad school right away. I think you need some life in there. I had more life probably than most because it was like 17 years <laughs> in between. But uh, so that's what I did. And that uh, I went took my MFA from the University of South Carolina. So I was back in South Carolina for two years. And then the third year of that program, you went to intern at a regional theater. And I came to DC and interned at the Shakespeare Theater. Oh, wow. And uh, that was in the mid nineties, had a great year um, interning. So you play small roles, you understudy, but there was no, uh, we didn't have to do things like build sets or move sets or anything like that. It was all acting. And uh, that year I, I did Macbeth with Stacey Keach and ha uh, Henry V with Harry Hamlin and All's Well That Ends Well with uh, Kelly McGillis and Valponi with Pat Carroll. It was a very starry year at the Shakespeare Theater that year. And I was lucky enough to be a part of it. And then when I graduated, I didn't really have any desire to go anywhere. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I didn't really want to go back to LA. And like I said, I had no really strong desire to go to New York, but I started getting work in DC 
enough work to make me stay there. And that's that's how I that's how I ended up in DC. <laughs> that's kind of how we, we both ended up in DC. Yeah, I was too, about to say the same we, thing. We we basically kind of, kind of just started getting work and was like, you know what, we kind of like it here. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys, um, you guys uh, both uh, uh, worked at Toby's for a while. I I know Matt did because I saw you in a show there. Yep we we did the Burnbray, the West End. Well, I've done the West End, uh, Lazy Susan, Riverside, Burnbray, Toby's. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just did Burnbray and Toby's, basically. I. Uh, have a great uh, respect for Toby's. In fact, when I moved to uh, DC, unfortunately, they have a rocky slash non-existent uh, reputation with the union. They rarely use union actors, and so. Uh, but I, but I think, and I was already union by the time I got to DC. So uh, those places were kind of not available to me. Right. But um, I, I remember I have a friend that was a Helen Hayes nominator judge for a year and she went to toby's and said do you want to come with me and i saw you matt play mr spider-man that's not his name but <laughs> uh in jekyll and hyde jekyll and hyde yes i saw you in jekyll and hyde wow yeah um and i think the uh, that was i've seen a kid show there and that show and those are the only things i ever saw at toby's but i had a great respect for them and um of course went to the helen hayes awards every year and they won a lot of stuff yeah um, and they were very always very enthusiastic when they were winning and i think some of the snootier theaters around town kind of looked at toby's and went how uh, this is a non-union dinner theater how uh how can they compare to us right but, um you know screw that whoever's doing the good work gets the awards as far as i'm concerned <laughs> well i will say that outside of the people who and nothing against them that have been institutions there who have, who have been there for decades. Mm -hmm. um, who are the glue, let's say. Yeah. Um, Toby's in particular, all the dinner theaters, but concentratedly so with Toby's, seems to draw the, like, the cream of the crop talent from the local universities. It's a really steady, good paycheck um, job, you make so much money off the tables. So it's really great when you're starting out, you get great experience and, you know, some somewhat notoriety and press or awards. And it just kind of, all those people are handpicked from all those regional houses that roll their eyes. Uh, Matthew and I being, you know, two of the many, uh, but that all those people who roll their eyes at that also go back and hire those kids. So, exactly. <laughs> Is well, it? and also, and you know this too, R. Scott, you know, if, what you really learn when you start working in all these different places, even in, I mean, just in Washington, and I'm sure it's like this everywhere, is you really start to understand the financial department of how that theater is being run. And, you know, Toby's has a very different structure than the West End. And then when we got into, you know, smaller uh, houses that was a non-union role, you were treated kind of like, oh, this is what it's like to be an equity performer, but I'm not equity, but this is kind of how the rehearsal goes. And, yeah. you know, it's really just about how they make their money and how they pay you. And, you know, there's a conversation to be had for all that, because I'm sure 
me and Stephen have had jobs that we really, really sort of loved artistically and that looked really great in the press. And you go home and you go, oh, my God, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. I will never forget this. Um, speaking of dinner theater performers, um, so my first show at Signature when it was still in the garage on Four Mile Run was Gypsy in 2000 with uh, Donna Migliaccio. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, um, as far as a paycheck shock, sticker shock, um, <laughs> what you would make as a non-equity person per week, I think around that time was like, $149 a week. Mm-hmm. And I remember Jeffrey Shankel and I were both um, newsboys in that production. And, you know, this is where you wanted to be, right? This is where the art was made. Yeah. And of course, not when you're the newsboys, but, you know, no. they would, uh, Jeffrey one day, uh, we, we would have a lot of time, downtime when we weren't being, you know, drilled by dances. Bayork Lee was the director, choreographer, so there was a lot of drill time, but we would go get sodas at like the deli in Sherlington and and Jeffrey would just say, they're doing the work. We're sitting sipping sodas. <laughs> and that's kind of a lot of what we did. But I remember just thinking, oh my God, I could make what I'm making per week in one shift at yeah. Toby's. Yeah if not more than what I was making in a week, but this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, well, back to how we met in Big River. Oh, yes, well. Now, now, now that, was, that, was that the first time we met? Yes. Now, I mean, that was kind of a really, I thought it was a pretty fantastic show. I did, uh, I did too, you know, I, uh, I had never heard of Shenandoah Summer Music Theater. And I had just, within the year, I think, graduated with my MFA. And like I said, I had landed in D.C. and sort of stayed there because I didn't know what, where else to go. And I saw this casting call in backstage for SSMT in New York because they usually went once a year to New York to find their New York people. Now, I didn't, I'd only been in D.C. a year and I did had no idea about geography. I had no idea that this place was only 90 miles away from where I was living and that it was kind of stupid to go all the way to New York to audition for it. Why didn't I go to the, you know, on campus and audition there? But uh, that was not mentioned in this casting call. And so <laughs> I had no idea where they were, but they were doing Big River amongst other things. And there's a good role for me in Big River that uh, was originally played by Rene Aubergenois. And I've learned over the years that most of the stage roles that Rene Aubergenois played are good for me. And uh, this one was, and I had the cast recording, so um, sent my stuff in and Sue Robinson called me and said, set me an appointment. I went up to New York. It was my first New York audition. I slept on somebody's floor for two nights, had a ball in the weekend, had a ball uh, meeting Hal and Tom and auditioning. And a couple of weeks later when I got it, I thought, oh my God, everybody complains about how hard it is to get work in New York. And I go up there, my first audition, and I, I nail the gig. This is going to be easy. <laughs> um, that proved not to be true, of course. <laughs> but um, that Big River has a really special, uh, and, and SM, SSMT has a special place in my heart because it was my first New York audition, and I booked it. 
who so, was who was the amazing other guy uh, in the show that was uh, at one point? I think you two had a song, maybe. Uh, yeah, the other guy. Well, there were two villains, and uh, uh, the other villain was David Barris, played by David Barris. David Barris. Yes, and we uh, actually we we're still great friends. We met the first day of uh, rehearsal at Big River, and we've been good friends ever since. We worked closely together because the way Big River was structured, the villains, we didn't come on for 45 minutes. The first 45 minutes of act one was something else. And then the, the uh, actually it's the, it's the part where you are in Matt. Um, one of the problems I think with Big River is that it's very episodic and it's kind of stuffed with a lot of uh, action. So the first chunk of it is Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer and all the boys together and having adventures. And then something happens, which I can't remember, but Jim the slave has to run away or something and Huck and Jim then get on the raft and they go away. And we know we don't see these boys, Tom Sawyer and the boys again until the end of the play. And then the center portion, which starts about 45 minutes into the play, they meet these two villains and David and I played them, the Duke and the King and uh, uh, Huck and Jim and Duke and King. They have uh, adventures together. Uh, what was my point? Oh yeah. So uh, David and I became uh, really good friends because we worked so closely together uh, and I'm, I'm going to have lunch with him next week. Do you remember a guy named Norman that was actually under the raft? I do remember Norman. <laughs> I, yes, because I, I worked with him the next time I was at SSMT. He was still there. Um, so, yes, I remember Norman. And it was, uh, bless his heart. I mean, he, he got out from under the raft sometimes. We did see him in certain. Um, but one of the pictures I sent to you, he's in one of those group pictures. But I that was... I, I thought all along, oh boy, what a what a job this was to. He, he had to move the raft around, so he was under the raft. Nobody knew he was under there. Yeah. For, for like half an hour of the show, the raft was moving around, and he had to be trapped under there. Uh, bless his heart. <laughs> was that the only show that we did together at SSMT? Yes, I think you were on your way out. Um, uh, what I what I do remember, Matt, is that that summer you were hanging with. Uh, that pretty girl named Jenny, really pretty girl, Jenny Soto. Jenny Soto. And Ben Franklin. And Ben uh, Franklin. Ben Franklin, the third or the fourth. I can't remember what his number was. But uh, at that time, he was carrying the number. I don't think he, he uses that number anymore. But you guys were really tight, and you were so good to David and me. I had I remember so clearly, because I have it on video, of y'all taking us out to bowling. Oh, my gosh. And I have... Uh, this was years before cell phones, of course. So I had a, a eight millimeter movie camera and I hauled it around. And so I've got a lot of footage of us bowling. And I've also got some footage that I took of the final dress rehearsal of Big River. I've got you, Matt, singing a song about a pig. Oh my God, that's hysterical. How about a hand for the hog? That's it, that's it. <laughs> Well, I always knew, but it wasn't on her. Yeah. Oh, you still remember it? Oh, my God. Let's hear it. Go no, ahead. I don't, I don't think I can do it without a Chardonnay. <laughs> um, uh, 
and 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 it's probably a good thing that I'm not technologically savvy because if I were by then all of that would be up over the on YouTube. Right, all, right, all right. Stuff. Um, I it uh, I was smart enough years ago to have all of this, all of that stuff, and I had hours and hours, not of us. I mean, of, I carried that camera around for two or three years, and so I uh, ended up with twenty five DVDs of all of that stuff, but I have no idea how to edit it or how to put it on the internet. So everybody's pretty safe. <laughs> well, I remember Washington, D.C., uh, New York. I, when I was in New York twice to sort of try to live there, I just kind of crumbled emotionally. I just, it was not a, a town for me. I, anyway, every time I was in D.C., it felt like it was familiar for some reason to me, and I enjoyed it. But I remember this show at the Kennedy Center called Sheer Madness. That's right. And because there was commercials on TV, and it was at the Kennedy Center, and the storyline and everything was just so fun. It seemed like such a dream job. And I remember going to see you in Sheer Madness. Yes, I was lucky enough to hook into that for uh, a number of years. You're absolutely right. It's uh, it's a dream job for an actor because it's the only commercial job for a union actor uh, full time in DC. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you do, if you work at Signature as y'all have for uh, so many years, you are uh, you're part of the gig economy. You work show by show. And so there are times when you are not in a show and so you don't work there anymore. Um, and, and technically Signature is nonprofit anyway, but Sheer Madness was a commercial production like Broadway shows are commercial productions. So they ran 52 weeks a year. It was great pay. It was so much fun to do. Uh, it was the hardest work and the most fun I've ever had in a show. And, uh, the actors who can do it and not not every actor can do it because there's a lot of as you remember maybe uh there's a lot of uh, improvisation interaction with the audience yeah i was about to say for those who aren't familiar oh, yeah, um our scott like tell people there when you get cast in the show there's like a bible uh oh, where boy. there are many different choose your own adventure because the audience helps to vote the outcomes right of how the story goes so as a performer it must be just kind of like incredibly difficult to memorize and have at the ready all of those possible outcomes. Do you want to speak to that? Well, you're absolutely right. You seem to know about this. Have you, uh, did you work on it at all? I never did. I did see it a couple of times. Yeah. The Bible is absolutely correct. The script that you get uh, has uh, more than half of it at the back has all of what over the years Sheer Madness has discovered are the likely questions to be asked by the audience. Because there's a section where there's a book section where a murder happens. It's very funny, but the, for the first 20 or 30 minutes of the show, it looks like a show. You know, the lights go down and you're watching a play happen in front of you. And a murder happens during that section. And then the cops come on to solve the crime and suddenly they bring the lights up and the audience starts to get involved in solving the murder. A big section of that is they take questions from the audience and the audience can ask any of the characters on stage any question they want about the murder, but sometimes they ask really outrageous questions. And over the years, uh, the creators of Sheer Madness have compiled this Bible, this book 
this instruction manual with all of the questions that tend to come up over and over and over again. And uh, they've devised comedic answers to these questions. It's always the truth. They always told the truth in these uh, answering the questions, but uh, it's a guide to how to answer this question. And it's a each one is kind of a bit. And so you're right. There are uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of those that you rehearse as much as you rehearse the scripted part of the play. And yeah. how long did it take you to kind of wrap your mind around that? 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was in a hard, hard position because when I went into the show, I was the only new person going into it. And so I had two weeks of rehearsal by myself, just like you do. I mean, they do that, you know, everywhere on Broadway. Uh, if somebody's going in, um, you don't rehearse with the whole company except once for your put in. So I spent two weeks with just the director and the stage manager, eight hours a day, uh, drilling this stuff, which was complicated because you weren't doing it on stage. And also the stage manager was playing all five of the other characters. Oh my God. You were playing you. Um, so it was a challenge. I'm very proud of myself that I was able to do that. Do you remember who your stage manager was? Uh, yes, my stage manager is now the late uh, Scott Hammer. I knew Scott. How, how did you know Scott, Stephen, if you he, didn't work on Shear? Uh, I worked at other things in the terrace, like uh, some of the um, the children's theater kind of experimental things that they did. They did like workshops of, of a whole bunch of shows. And Scott would do um, stage management over there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've worked all over the Kennedy Center. So I, Scott's just a familiar face. He's done little readings. He's done concerts uh, i've done like umpty bump things there that i can't even recall but he was always a friendly face and such a sweet guy his he he passed recently uh, yeah, yeah. yeah well, well, well about two or three years ago it was before the pandemic yeah, i mean that's recent to me yeah uh, okay yes uh he was the longtime stage manager he was there for 26 years or more um and was a doll and he is responsible for uh in a roundabout kind of way for the reason that you're calling me R. Scott. Instead oh, really? Of, yes. Because uh, though it, I am with the unions as R. Scott, my social security card that I got when I was six years old says R. Scott on it. I grew up being called Scott. And people who uh, all the way through school and my family and college and even grad school even though in the program I was R. Scott Williams, nobody was ever calling me R. Scott. They were calling, they'd call me Scott because that's how my mother wanted it, I guess. <laughs> uh, it was sheer madness when I got sheer madness. And it was a couple of years uh, after graduating, uh, getting my MFA. And there I was in DC. Um, and it was because of this situation we're talking about right now, where I had two weeks with only Scott and the director, Bobby Lorman. Um, and it, was so complicated. There were only three people in the room and two of us were named Scott. And so we decided, okay, just call me R. Scott. And it stuck. And now uh, more than half the people that I know now, because I've met them through the professions, uh, call me R. Scott. I'll answer to either one. And uh, R. Scott is kind of pompous sounding, but I'm kind of pompous myself. So I, uh, it works and um, I'm happy to be R. Scott, but we owe sheer madness and the fact that I was in rehearsal with Scott Hammer 
to the fact that so many people now in DC call me. You know, you know what's funny in our world is we have a friend named R. Scott Thompson. I know that because uh, I met him a couple of times. He was in, he was still in DC when I landed there. Before. Yeah. So when we when we bring up an R. Scott in our living room, we have to then specify. Yeah. Which, which R. Scott are you talking about? I I um in those early years, and he was still there, and he did some work at Signature. He was a musical theater guy, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 And uh, uh, we were nothing alike. We I was decades older than him, I think, and we didn't look like alike. We were never in the same audition room going up for the same part you know i met him by chance and get we giggled about the fact that we had the same name but around town people would confuse us because of the first name r scott who was kind of weird uh, he he doesn't live in the region anymore though i don't believe no he's in california he's an imagineer for disney now he's designing shit for disney oh my god well he's outdone all of us hasn't he good for yeah. him Good it's funny. Him. It's I have the sa same kind of thing in town here with Stephen. Of course, I'm Stephen Smith, which is why I started Stephen Gregory Smith, which is my middle name. But because there is a Steve Schmidt and people would confuse us all the time. Steve uh, Smith, Steve Schmidt. Yes. And there again, you two are nothing alike. You're never going to be up to the same part. Exactly. Exactly. But it doesn't make any difference. The names are too are too close. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, so what, besides Big River, what are the, some of the other um, SSMT shows you did since this is kind of an SU arced podcast? Oh, yes. Well, Steve, aren't you glad you asked? I am. I, I went back to, to uh, take inventory to make sure that I didn't miss anything. So after Big River, um, Big River actually, by the way, I am almost positive was the last season that was in the Armstrong building. And the following season, which I was not involved in, I think was the first season at the Ostrom building. Mm -hmm. You guys feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's true because I think the year after the first year was my next year back and I did Once Upon a Mattress. I think that's right. There. Um, and uh, there again, I, had to, I went to New York <laughs> uh, to audition because Hal always wanted me to do that. Um, and I went up because I wanted to play the jester, which is great role. He's seeing, he's got that great 11 o'clock number, kind of the very soft shoes. Do you guys know Once Upon a Mattress? No. Uh-uh. Well, anyway, um, the jester is a great role. Uh, I did not know that Michael Sharp, I know y'all know Michael Sharp. Yes. We know Michael Sharp. Yes. And he's from Shenandoah, and he also did uh, quite a bit of work at SSMT after graduating. I didn't know that he was already set for the part because uh, that wasn't in the casting call. Anyway, I went up and I sang Very Soft Shoes and Hal already knew that I wasn't gonna get it. So he gave me a side to read for The Wizard, which is a teeny tiny little role. And he knew and I knew and everybody in the room knew that he wasn't gonna go equity with that that uh, little part, The Wizard. But um, I think he felt sorry for me that I'd gone all the way up there to audition for something he was already gonna give to somebody else. Uh, so I read it and I guess I did something really physical with it because I ended up playing the king who is mute. So he has one line at the very end of the play, but he has no dialogue up until then. Um, in fact, he's King Sextimus the Silent is what <laughs> they call him. He, and so um, the couple of weeks later, he called and asked if, if I would play that. And I'd never done anything like that 
I didn't consider myself a, a particularly physical actor, but I had a ball, had a great time. Um, you know, I didn't have to learn any lines, but it was a leading role. I had two songs that other people sang, but I was in them. Um, met Michael Sharp there for the first time. Turned out this was the third time he'd done the jester for Hal. Hal had that thing where uh, to cut time, if he could cast the same person that had done it before, he would. Right. And did that a lot. Um, and there, there's some logic to that if you only have 10 days of rehearsal. There's some logic to that. So I understand that. Um, this was That was also the first show where I met uh, Robin Higginbotham. For mm. some reason, she was not involved. It was one of the few years during that period where she was not involved when we did Big River. She was not there that year. Um, but she was there. She choreographed and was in the ensemble, and uh, we became good friends. And um, the, and I sent y'all some pictures from Once Upon a Mattress, and it's, it was a I had a lot of fun doing that and getting to know Robin and stuff. And then it was several years after that that um, I went back and did Brigadoon, and uh, uh, that also uh, y'all know Brigadoon. You guys need to know more about your Matthew does. Yeah, I've worked on Brigadoon. I love Brigadoon. Okay. Um well I played Jeff, which is a it's the it's the sidekick. So it's a huge role. He has no singing and no dancing. So it was the easiest role I ever had at Shenandoah. But it was uh, uh really showy because he got uh Brigadoon comes out of that period where generally the romantic leads had best friends or sidekicks who got all the laughs. <laughs> and that's just how it was written. And uh, uh, Robin played the second female lead. So she got all the laughs as a woman and I got all the laughs for the men. Um, now Robin had a really, Robin was there of course and she was choreographing this huge show, Brigadoon and she was also playing Meg, which is a huge role. It's the second female lead. She had, a, between you and me, she had a hard time that year. Uh, in Brigadoon because now just don't tell anybody this. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, she, I'm sure she won't mind my talking about it now, but she had a rocky time because Hal, she was choreographing and doing this huge role right. well, in her choreo. One of the big numbers, there's a specialty number within the number that three girls do some, a specialty dance. Well, Robin, uh, Hal had cast that without Robin. And he made a mistake with one of the girls. And when Robin started her, uh, her uh, first uh, rehearsal teaching this dance, she recognized right away that this girl was not going to be able to do this dance. And in 10 rehearsal days, she didn't have time to teach this girl to dance and also teach her the choreography. So she went to Hal and said, we're going to have to replace her. And Hal said, okay, do whatever you need to do. Now, this is where I think Hal made a mistake because Hal... Hal had cast this girl. It was his duty. Was his responsibility to go yeah. to this girl. Of course, he was the man in power also because he was also everybody's teacher and mentor and you know everybody loved Hal and really respected him. He should have gone to this girl and handled this on his own and said, I made a mistake. I apologize. I'm sorry. Uh, um, she wasn't kicked out of the show, but she just had to go back into the ensemble. But he didn't do that. He said, do whatever you need to do. And so Robin was handed this responsibility to uh, do this to this girl. And this girl reacted very badly. Oh my, you know, crying on oh, my family's coming. This is the biggest part I've ever had at Shenandoah. And blah, 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 you know, 
And uh, so Robin had to deal with that. And then I think this girl had a little click that turned some of the females in the ensemble against her. Uh, she had a really hard time choreographing that show. She had no time to concentrate on her own part. Right. And uh, so we got to um, the second weekend, the second Saturday. So y'all remember that, uh, you know, we're TikTok, we're coming up to the one day of tech and then we're going to open. So that Saturday, uh, she asked me, could you, could we please rehearse our scene? We had this one big scene by ourselves, one-on-one -on -one in the barn that included her solo number. She also had a big, uh, big uh, group number in act two, but this was a big, it was important for the two of us. And Hal had, uh, you remember how he directed, he would start at the beginning and he would go through the show and block everything right away. And when it was a one-on-one, -on -one, two-person scene, he'd block it and then he wouldn't revisit it again. So you were kind of on your own until the, until you were starting to run through. And so she felt really uh, unprepared. So she asked if, could, could we do this? Could we rehearse this privately? And so uh, I said, yes. So we got together at 8 a.m. on that Saturday before a long work day and uh, spent an hour and a half, two hours and reblocked this thing because Hal had blocked it. He, had, he hadn't really paid a lot of attention to it. And we made it much clearer and we improved it, I must say, uh, 100%. But she felt a little uh, awkward about that because you didn't make changes like that in a Hal Herman show without Hal Herman approving it. Right. I think uh, she had a lot of respect for Hal. And uh, I listened to her episode of your podcast uh, last weekend. And uh, y'all were right when you said, you know, you kind of acted like an assistant director to him. Mm-hmm as well as a choreographer. And so she had that relationship with him. I didn't have that. I was a hired gun. So I told her, you know what, if Hal says anything, which I don't think he will, if he says anything after the run through tomorrow, I'll step up and say, I made the changes. Um, it was my idea. It was my idea. And so I, you know, you want to blame somebody, blame me. Uh, turn, he didn't say anything because the changes all worked like a dream. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if he realized that we changed the blocking or if he realized it and said, well, this is better because that run through, if you remember that, that Sunday run through would, was always the first run through with the orchestra. Right. It was, we'd had a sits probe earlier in the week, but this was that first run. And it even had a little audience because the, the any actors who were not in the ensemble of Brigadoon were in the previous show, they could come and watch. And the previous show that year was Sugar. So uh, Rick Wesley, in fact, was in Sugar. And his friend Jack, who was working Rolls, Rolls, something like that. Jack Rolls. Jack Rolls. Yeah. Jack Rolls. Um, they were doing, playing the two leads in Sugar. And I didn't know it until after the run through. But it turns out that the two of them had played the two male leads in Brigadoon the last time Hal had done it. So I was playing a role that Rick Wesley would have played again, except he was doing sugar, sugar and they couldn't work out the, uh, uh, the dynamics of that. Rick, I knew Rick many years before I was ever on stage with him and loved him through Robin and loved him. And, uh, but we never, we were never paired together. Um, 
at Shenandoah because uh, we're kind of the same. I, I mean, we're very different, of course, but we're both char comic character actors. And generally, there's only one of those that they can afford an equity contract for in one show. So I would see Peter Pan show up on the roster for the next season. I'd go, uh, you know, Captain Hook, that's a good role for me, but Rick would play it. So, right, right. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, that's fine. But I uh, really wanted to work with Rick all along and um, have a lot of respect for him. And I ended up uh, uh, working with him in uh, Forum, which we did in 2015. That's a fun show. Oh, such a great show. Were y'all in it when Signature did it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was an understudy for like six parts. <laughs> and then, get this, I was doing a show in Middleburg at the same time I was understudying. And every night I would call from an, uh, Middleburg to see if I was needed for the show. And I was literally like an hour away. Oh, my God. And then when the show closed in Middleburg, that next week i went right into the show and i was like oh my god you were so lucky matt you could have really been burned by i i know and i was ready for my press conference I mean, and i was just gonna say hey i'm trying to make that was his elaine stritch uh story. <laughs> go sing the song yeah that was a show where everyone ended up going on there were like eight understudies on one day and that was way pre-covid it was just <laughs> some kind of an illness because I ended up going on for Hysterium. You ended up going on for um, Hero. Um, there was a lot of people sick. Well, then I went in as a protean, what, uh, like the rest of the run? The rest of the run, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Those are, I think those proteans, those, those uh, three roles, are the best ensemble roles for a man in musical theater. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I absolutely would, would uh, you know, I'd play one. I'm too old now, but I'd play one now if somebody offered it to me. I'll, I think those are great roles. I love Forum. I did it twice in Los Angeles before uh, Shenandoah. Now, when Shenandoah announced it, Hal had, had retired by then, and it was going to be directed by Jonathan Flom. Do you all know Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did not. And uh, uh, for the listeners, Jonathan took over a lot of Hal's teaching responsibilities once Hal uh, retired. And but he did, never worked at SSMT because I think he had an ongoing summer gig where he went away and taught or directed or something. But um, all those years he had never uh, directed at SSMT. And for some reason, the first show of that season was going to be Forum and he was directing it. I'd never I knew the name, but I'd never met it. I wanted very much to be in. Uh, forum. It was the only time I believe that SSMT has done it. I know that Shenandoah University has probably done it several times, but because the cast is so small in terms of there's no chorus, there's no ensemble really, except the courtesan and stuff. Um, I, I don't think Hal, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but at SSMT, I don't think Hal ever did it because he would, he would, wouldn't know what to do with all of his extra ensemble. Yeah, I don't think so either. Liz Albert, you can update us in the comments. Yes, tell us that. Um, uh, but uh, once uh, Tom took over, uh, he realized that they could save a little bit of money if the first show of the season, if that was smaller, they could then hire, the bigger ensemble could arrive later. And you so you had room, if it was the first show of the season, to do a smaller show and then and that's exactly what they did because the second show was the Adams family. And so bunches and bunches of ensemble people showed up to do that. But 
at any rate, Forum was the first show. And uh, I started to lobby to get into it right away. I was sending Christmas cards and little notes to Liz and to Tom, who was the artistic director at that time of SSMT, um, saying that I wanted to do it. And uh, then and here's I, a gift card. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and uh, by then I had I was I, I had my New York branch, and so uh, after I didn't hear anything, I knew Rick was working at a bar right around the corner. This place, this Manhattan Plaza, you guys, is situated right in the middle of uh, Midtown. It's the best location to be if you're an actor. So anyway, uh, uh, Rick was working at his bar around the corner. So I went around one afternoon to find him, hoping he was bartending. He was. I said, I hear you're doing Forum, because they'd already announced that he was going to play Pseudolus. And he said, yes. I said, how exciting. Oh, do you know who else is in the, in the cast? He said, no, but they've told me I'm the only equity actor in it. So I thought, so I gave up because I figured they'd cast it already right. as a non-union person. And and I think that is what happened. And Liz can fill us in on that too, if she'll spill the beans. Right. But I, I, I got a call less than four weeks before rehearsal was going to start from Liz saying, uh, we're looking for a cynics. Are you still interested? Can you come to campus and audition for Jonathan and for Tom? And of course I could, so I did. But of course, how many times have I driven from DC to Winchester and back, but I misjudged the time. It was a Friday afternoon. I was 45 minutes late to this audition that they set up just for me. I was so late that the kid who was accompanying was going to accompany the audition. He had to go to class. So when I showed up, here's Jonathan Flom, who's in charge. I've never met before. I really want to impress. And here's Tom uh, sitting there, you know, waiting for me, but they had nobody to play for my audition. So we had to wait for this kid to get out of class. So we had a very awkward 15 minutes, 20 minutes while we were waiting, you know, waiting for me, for something to happen. Um, they didn't hold it against me. They should have, but they didn't. And I think they were kind of in a bind. Uh, nobody else was there. It was, you know, I think some non-union guy had said he would do it and then decided that he wouldn't do it. And they decided they got to find somebody quick. And they had all of these notes from all year long of me having written about coming in to play Cynix. So uh, it all worked out fine. Um, I don't drive with my cell phone on because I'm distracted enough. So I had turned my cell phone on off in the hour and a half drive back home to DC. And then when I turned the cell phone back on, Liz had called about 10 minutes after I left and said, you, you're hired. Come back. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, come back. We want to see some more. Oops, okay. Uh, <laughs> No, that didn't happen. So I was uh, uh, thrilled to do that and thankful that um, they didn't hold that against me. And finally, I got on stage with Rick. Oh, that's fantastic. We, uh, and I know y'all have worked with Rick because he worked out there so much, but it's just a joy to be around him. Well, as you know, you know, when we do this live breathing art that we all kind of have to create together, it's so nice when you're in a room or in a show with a lovable experience because, you know, we've all been there where the room maybe isn't exactly perfect because someone's pissed off at something and it just can sometimes change that experience to something you're like, okay, I can't wait to, for this to end. But, mm -hmm. um, but it's just some 
I just can't imagine ever working for you know another <clears throat> industry that makes us have such friends for a lifetime. Yeah. yeah, you know, and we feel like we know each other even more than we are than we actually do. Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. You know, and there's speaking since this is about Shenandoah and uh, SSMT. Uh, I asked myself, self, uh, why do you like going out there? Uh, it's hard work, 10 rehearsal days to put up this huge musical, but that's part of the attraction for me. Um, but every time I've been out there, and I've been out there five seasons over a period of almost 20 years, from the early 90s to my mo most recent time, which was Forum, so it was 2015, and the first time was 1997. Uh, but every time I go out there, the first thing that hits me at the first rehearsal is the enthusiasm that the ensemble is displaying for enthusiasm for being there enthusiasm for each other enthusiasm for doing this show and it's it's kind of what attracted me to the theater in the beginning uh it's that in that excitement and that enthusiasm and I recognize that as I have gotten older and done more and more shows that have felt like work, uh, there's nothing wrong with a show feeling like work, but it's vast, it, it's vastly different from a show that feels like play. Yeah. And uh, I, I often, when I have gone back there, I'll realize, gee, I lost that. I lost that feeling because I don't feel it every time I do a show. And then you get it back and you are just energized, no matter how what age you are. And that's a big reason why I love working at SSMT. Also. Well, and then, then going through this, this pandemic situation where you lose all of that uh, applause, all of those physical hugs, all of, I mean, just all of that connection. Yeah. And you're sitting in your, on your couch thinking, oh my God, I've, my entire life has been around people and getting you know when you do a scene with someone it's like it's like a tennis match and now now i'm just playing smash <laughs> right <laughs> so uh i see that we're at 52 minutes and we like to kind of uh, keep our world famous podcast kind of oh i I thought, I thought this was a 12 episode arc well yes this is just episode <laughs> one of um of us talking about Outlander. <laughs> um, so speaking of the pandemic, what are some things that you kind of honed into that, you know, you watched or you did you learn how, how to bake French bread? <laughs> you know, I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, no, I did watch some stuff. I, I did. Um, I guess I was lucky being in two cities because I could, wherever the the cases were spiking i could go to the other city of course it was and, a chess match yeah right back and forth back and forth um i watched um julia that's about julia child yeah it was a mini series uh david hyde pierce and bb newworth were in it um uh loved that um i'm still watching gaslit which is about Watergate. It's got Julia Roberts playing Martha Mitchell. None of these words make any uh, are making a dent in you. You you guys know what Watergate was? Oh yeah, I just haven't <laughs> seen either of these things yet. Oh okay. Um. Uh. And I just finished the offer. 
Oh God, we love the offer. Uh that guy, I've never seen him before. The lead guy, the guy playing the Miles uh Miles somebody. Miles Yeah, Trump. Dreamboat. Yeah, well, I just read um online that he got that part because the man who was supposed to play it was uh Armin Hammer. Oh, Army Hammer. Army Hammer who got in such trouble, you know, one of the he's one of the Me Too casualties he was trying to like eat people yeah <laughs> yeah his was particularly uh nasty and uh he was cast in it and so he uh, they dumped him and, and they found this guy i don't know where he came from miles but, teller uh but uh he was great i loved it loved it i i uh i loved it and i remember when the godfather came out and it was such a sensation i had no idea all about i it. just i loved i'm so sorry honey i loved the oh my god this is how this part came to be this is how this part came to be like the the mob hitman that was like reciting his lines right i love that i and love I'm like that's so endearing and so cool that this all came from the guy ruddy's like actual you know memoirs and i i got kind of emotional towards the end of the series because i felt like we all understand a little bit of what that collaborative feeling of is this going to succeed? Are we going to fail? Kind of feels like. I uh, I I love those kinds of back, quote unquote, backstage stories. Yeah. Well, what you're talking about. I mean, the uh, the miniseries about Julia Child is also a lot of that of how that came together, and how unexpectedly this happened and this happened. And I mean, in the offer, and we're watching this guy playing Frank Sinatra. I had yeah. no idea that Frank Sinatra, Sinatra had anything to do with The Godfather or had tried to stop it or anything like that. Right. I love garbage like that. I love it. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we we love, love, loved that. Um, so at least we've seen one of the three things that you mentioned. Okay. So we'll, I, this is why I asked because we can make a list of recommendations of what other people say. I see. Okay. Um, at so, least you didn't say Ted Lasso like everyone else says. No, I actually haven't seen any of Ted Lasso. Matt has. I have not. I am such a bad. I mean, I'm a SAG voter too, and you're, you know, uh, they're up for uh, SAG awards every year, and you're supposed to watch everything. It's one of the things I just haven't watched. I have been watching Murders in the Building. Have you guys been watching? No, that? no. The of uh, course the cast is amazing. Yes, it's a. Uh, we'll put that on your list. We will. Only murders in the building. Right, right. Wow. Well, R. Scott, thank you for joining us. We love spending time with you and getting to know you a little better. And uh, this is, you're going to be paired with Yvonne Campbell, who you don't know, but is another beloved SSMT actress uh, who also lives in New York. Maybe the two of you will connect and like have coffee. She was, she was a Lola and an Anita and a, Gladys and pajama game. She's that kind of gal. Uh-huh. Oh, well, sounds great. I think this is a great uh, offshoot of, of your Back to the Hive um, uh, concept. So I, I, I encourage you to keep going. I hope this works out because you've got a whole list of people who uh, have worked at SSMT long enough to give you insight into... Uh, I, I find that very interesting. Again, I told a lot of stories about sort of the making of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating because, you know, even people who no longer make their money doing theater have 
are doing creative things in their life that is coming from their creative soul. And, you know, it kind of puts us in a world where sometimes, you know, we feel like, oh God, what are we doing? And then you talk to a couple of friends, you're like, oh my God, this is so amazing that um, you bring up so many fond memories and you realize that we're all kind of in this together, whether we're in a show or not. Mm -hmm. So, well, thank you for spending time with us tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me. I am honored and I had a ball. You know, I love talking about myself and I just spent an hour doing exactly that. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, once we sign off, I'm going to continue to talk. Right, right. <laughs> no right. one's here, but I'm just going to be talking. Yeah, right. The and then yes. I did. And the next show I did and on and on and on. Okay, you guys, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, R. Scott. We love you. We'll talk okay. to you soon. Okay, you guys take care of yourselves. Bye. Right, bye. bye. Thanks for joining us, R. Scott. We really appreciate your time. That was so much fun. Yeah, so it's so crazy how, like I said on the podcast, you kind of meet friends for life in theater and you just kind of pick up from when you last saw them and it feels like no time. Amigos, para siempre means you'll always be my friend. That's like an Andrew Lloyd Webber thing, is it? I think so. That was good. Thank you. Um, all right, well, thank you to this week's guests, uh, Yvonne Campbell and R. Scott Williams little SSMT treat. Uh, all those crazy kids at SSMT are in the thick of it right now. I think they're doing Bridges of Madison County right now. Um, so go see a show at SSMT if you're in the area. Um, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an ER. Please follow us on social media under Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Again, Connor and Smith with an ER. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out a lot. Post it where you post things, share it where you share things. Please join the Discord discussion. Add some photos. Uh, there's some photos that R. Scott sent me. Thank you, R. Scott. I'm going to throw up there. Uh, I'm not going to throw up. I mean, I'm going to put up on the Discord. Also, add to the late 90s song playlist. Link in the description. Thanks so much, everybody who's listening to us. It's going to continue. This Shenandoah season is just not slowing down. I know we have a spooky season coming up, but I think we might just take a break for spooky season and then go right back to SU. Um, Because there's so many people we still have to talk to. And schedules are crazy and trying to make it work. So at any rate, thank you for listening. We love and appreciate you. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.